Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. First, we are a Bible-believing church, and we preach through books of the Bible here. Right now, we're in the book of John, and we're talking about the life of Jesus and who he is and what he means for us and who he is to God and this anomaly that he is 100% God and 100% man, and yet he walks the earth and, and this weird thing. But as we look in the Bible, we see more and more of him coming to life to us and showing us who God is. And so the book of John is a narrative. It's explaining the story of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all tell kind of what Jesus did from the same part and perspective. But John is talking about who he was and not just what he did. And so as we look into that, we are finding out that God is a healer. That when he came to save us, he didn't just come to save your soul and forgive you. He came to forgive your sins, to heal your body, and to deliver you from the works of the devil and the torments that torment you, which I believe is a 360 all-encompassing who you are. As Watchman Nee would say, that you are body, soul, and spirit, and that you are made up of the trichotomy of man. That's your parts. And, and so your spirit is dead. When Adam and Eve experienced death, they were dead in their spirit. So they had a body and they had a soul. That means that they were, had a physical body and they had a mind, will, and emotion, but their spirit died. When you receive Jesus and he forgives you of your sins and he brings you salvation or saves you from death, he brings you life in your spirit. However, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions is often where you're tormented. The Bible says in Ephesians that the devil, don't be foolish about his schemes, that he goes around like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Ephesians says that your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the person next to you and uh, the government and all of these things going around you. It's actually spiritual. And they are fighting for your very soul, your mind, will, and emotions. It's why you feel attacked in your mental capacity. It's why you feel attacked in your emotions. It's why you feel attacked and you have anxiety and depression. And it is often influenced by your outside experiences. It could be the trauma that you experienced. It could be what you intake from the outside. It could be just circumstances of life and things that are going on. And psychologists more and more looking at that said you need to have these certain things in order to grow healthy and all of that stuff. But I would say, and I'm not a PhD in psychology, but I would say that you need to start off with getting your spirit alive in Jesus and letting him work on your mind, your will, and your emotions, right? Your soul. And then that can work also out into your body. The more that we deny the flesh, like when we fast, we deny the flesh and somehow our soul grows closer to our spirit. Isn't that funny, right? So God says, fast and direct yourself towards me where the spirit of God dwells in you, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And so that is body, soul, and spirit. So when Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to bring you salvation and I want it to be forgiveness of sin in your spirit. I want it to be deliver from torments, the works of the devil that are alive and at work in your soul and healing your body, right? It's trichotomy. It's all encompassing. Salvation is for the whole man, the whole person. 
And so 1 Thessalonians 5 says that may your body, soul, and spirit be held blameless until the day of salvation. May God work on your body, soul, and spirit until he comes and delivers you from this world altogether and takes you to be with him. So that's what Jesus is at work doing. We see that in John as he goes around forgiving people, healing people, in delivering them from torments. He does this by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Okay? He does this by the Holy Spirit that's resting on him. And after he rises and ascends into heaven, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be on you. And I want you to do what I have done. Now, most people, if they are just marginal Christians, will say, well, I wish I could be like Jesus, but I can't. And so I'm not going to try. Wouldn't it be great to just be like Jesus? Except for there's a huge problem there. Jesus says, before he leaves, he gives an assignment to all believers. He's like, I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. Do all the things that I have taught you, teaching all the others, making disciples, baptizing them in my name. And so that's our call. When we say, yes, Lord, save me. Yes, Lord, I'm available. Yes, God, I'll do, I'll follow what he, it's a commission to do what Jesus did, not to just go home and listen to to positive Christian radio, to look at your one verse a day and to tell people that you're praying for them and you never do. Ouch. God wants you to be busy about his work. And dare I say, most people are missing out being busy about God's work. They're not missing out on God's work because of a soccer game or the Chiefs game. They're missing out on being busy about God's work simply because they don't believe it's for them to do. So Jesus comes in John chapter 1. John says that nobody in the whole entire planet has ever seen God except for Jesus. And he has come to make him known to us. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 What does God look like? Jesus. What does God act like? Jesus. What does God desire for my life? Look at Jesus, he'll show you. Does God want to? Look at Jesus. Right? And if we don't know what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and what he's like, then we cannot know God. So Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the image of the invisible God. And it says this, he is the exact representation of God's glory. Mm. I can just stop right there and just sit here for the next hour and think about that. But you guys will be bored. So, we're going to move on. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 5. That was my introduction. It's not as long as my dad's. I'm working on my dad's long introductions. My dad can introduce a sermon for about 45 minutes. If you remember that. And he would be like, now to my sermon. <laughs> and you're like, good Lord. Like, you got the short version of my dad. Now, I grew up in a little Pentecostal church in Jefferson, Iowa. It was brick and mortar, you know, smaller than this room. And uh, there would be times we did nothing during service. We just sat there. And my mom would play the organ for an hour. And my dad would say, just rest in the Lord. Just rest in the Lord. Just rest. 
for an hour. You know, if you got ADD now, we didn't have cell phones either, you know. It's like if you were an adult and a kid next to you had a coloring book, like, hey, kid, give me that. Give me a color book. <laughs> so you guys got the shortened version of my dad. Somewhere along the way, he decided that you can't just keep people all day. But, you know, we had service all morning till like 1 p.m. on a 10 o'clock service. And then we went home and caught a nap and ate roast potatoes and carrots out of my mom's crock pot and came back at 6 p.m. and did it all over. So anyway. Amen. Amen. So, here we go. John chapter 5, starting in verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath... But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. That means that if he calls God father, so like, really quickly, the American church is so like, apathetic. I won't say apostate. The Bible says that in the last days that the men, people of God, will have a form of godliness, but deny the power of God. And we are so used to calling God Father, the big man upstairs. You know, oh, our Father, our Father. But this is a new concept. What Jesus is actually doing, he's delivering us a new relationship with God. The Jews didn't even say the name God. To this day, they don't even write G-O-D. They write capital G dash D. It was so sacred for them. And Jesus comes and he's like, Hey, Dad. Okay, that's a new thing. Okay, never let yourself be so caught up in calling God a father who's distant and doesn't show up and you see him every two weeks on the weekend that you don't understand that you are from him. When Jesus shows up and he says, God is my father, he's saying, I am from him. My bloodline is from him. My DNA is from God. You ever wonder why Jesus couldn't just be a regular man from a man and a woman? Because he has the DNA of God. Mm, Science shows us that the DNA handed down from the father's bloodline is very unique. Okay, So Jesus couldn't be a son of Abraham like all the rest of the Jews. He had to be a son of God. Very interesting. Science backs that up. So that's, you know, if you want to follow the science, look to the Bible. Okay. So, he was even calling God Father, making himself equal to God. That means that he is the firstborn, right? He is the heir of the whole earth. Very big deal for the Jewish people. God is the heir of of everything. It means when God dies, Jesus gets the estate. Okay. Except for what we find out God doesn't die. It's just a joke too. We find out that God gives all things to Jesus. Here we go. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does... The Son 
also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleased to give it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. It's so much deeper than we can even get a credit for. Lord, open our eyes that we can understand you and see you in new ways. We're thankful that you are special and unique and holy. Because it means that we have something concrete to stand on when the world is flying by. When the world is chaotic. When we don't understand, you are truth. Reveal your truth to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Jesus and he walks the earth and he begins to demonstrate who? The Father. Right? He begins to show us what the Father is like because we don't know. We've been trying to get to God. We've been trying to know God. We've been trying to worship God. We've been trying to do everything right. But it's Jesus. He's the favorite. He's the one who's seen God face to face. And he comes down and he's like, hey, I'm going to show you what our dad is like. I'm going to show you what it means to be close to our father. And they're like, who are you? And we've been doing all this stuff and we know how to please our dad. We give sacrifice every year and we don't work on the Sabbath and we follow all the rules and we do everything that's right. He's like, no, 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 you don't really know our dad. Our dad is so much closer than that. Our dad is concerned with relationship. He wants to be connected to you. He wants to be so connected to you that he sent me to tell you all about him. This is the same thing that Joseph starts to talk about and his brothers killed him for it. It's a preview of what's to come later. Either that you realize how much the father loves his children or you don't. And Jesus is going to demonstrate. Later on in the epistles, Paul begins to write and he says things like, Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That he is the prototype, basically, to show you what God wants to do with you. Jesus throws off all of his godness, according to Philippians 2. He he says, equality with God is not something that I even want to show off or even tell you about. He's like, but I'll become a man on earth, and a human being. Jesus is not going to be God anymore. He's going to come down, and he's going to be a man, just like you and me. He's going to be tempted just like you and me. He's going to experience life just like you and me. He's going to have to learn how to feed himself, how to buy his own toilet paper, how to pay the rent. No wonder he was just walking around with 12 dudes. And Jesus demonstrates to us what life with the Father can be like. Because he is showing you Real relationship. What does he do when he shows the relationship with God? Forgives sins. Heals from disease. And delivers from the devil. Torments. That's what he does. If Jesus is God's favorite... And the prototype for what it means to be a son or daughter of God. Don't you think that we should get to know God the same way that Jesus knows God? 
Don't you think we should operate out of that relationship in the same way that Jesus does? Isn't our instruction from Jesus himself, hey, do the things that I've been showing you. Teach the things that I have taught you. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus forgives from sin, heals from disease, and delivers from torment. It is the salvation, the sozo of God, the Father. So in the American church, and I say every church is at risk of doing this. I just say the American church because that's us. Okay? Is concerned more with just doing enough and neglecting who God is and what he wants for his people. We are missing out on the very nature of our When I say things like, God wants to heal, people go, eh, I don't believe that. Whether they say it out loud or just like something in their gut. It's like, I don't think so. God wants to deliver you from Satan himself, Lucifer, the evil one. God wants to deliver you from the accuser of the brethren. That's Satan's actual name. So you stand around all day long accusing yourself and accusing others, and Jesus wants to deliver you from that. And you're like, I don't know if the devil even exists. I think that's just all fairy tale. You know who does believe in the devil? Jesus. You want to know how I know? It's in his book. And he talks about it. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. And he says, why don't you go ahead and submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he'll flee. But instead, you know what we do instead of that? We watch movies about Satan. I love that movie. Oh my gosh. Do you believe in the paranormal? Yeah, I believe in demons. Do you believe in ghosts? Yeah. There's an afterlife. Do you believe in? Yeah, I do. They're my enemies. In the church, if we don't understand, my dad would say, it's a battlefield, not a recreation room. And then he would go, it's a fight, not a war. You know, Probably wear a suit when he was doing it. It's true. But if the church wants to deny what God has designed and come to teach us and show us, and to believe for will be no different, no different than the people who are dying and going to hell. We just pretend like we have a Jesus flag. No victory. We're defeated. We're depressed. We're anxious. We're fearful. We don't love one another. We're in disunity. We're in discord. We're addicted sexually. I can write down the line. And you know where that list is it? It's in the works of the flesh. And Paul says, whoever participates in these things will not participate in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where God has dominion. Which means that it's his house. Which means that there is an inheritance from that house. And guess whose inheritance it is? Jesus! He's the heir of all things. 
And what does Jesus say? He says, go. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, do all these things. We say, I can't. What about? And we just name off all the works of the flesh. Because we're so acquainted with the works of the flesh rather than the works of the spirit. If you had joy, real joy of the Lord, you want everybody else to have it. If you had real peace, every room you walked in that didn't have peace, you'd be like, I just want you to have peace. I just, this room needs peace. I don't feel like it did just five minutes ago. I feel something different in here. And I think it needs peace. This is the Christian life. You can settle for your little songs, your little radio station. You can settle for even, you know, the right legislation. You can settle for it, and your neighbor can go to hell. And your family can go to hell. And those you love that are closest to you can go to hell. Or live like it while they're on earth. Because they are not forgiven. They're not healed. And they're not delivered. But it's the truth. So what's the secret? What's the purpose? What's the, what's the thing? Well, I think it's wrapped up in Jesus' statement that I don't do anything except for what the Father wants me to do. Check it out real quick. John chapter 5, verse 19. So it's in that passage, but it's probably like, you got 19? Perfect, right here. Bam. Very truly, I tell you, is verily, verily. It's actually this word, amen. In some old ones, you'll see amen. Amen. And then we'll start talking. Amen means it is established. It means it already exists. It means so be it. It's not a hope or a wish. It's like, amen. Right? We think it means like, I agree. It doesn't mean that. It means like, boom, it's done. Amen. When it's put at the beginning of a sentence, it means, I am a first-hand witness to this truth. So the actual words are, amen, amen. Jesus doesn't want you to miss it. Truly, truly. Not this is true or this is fact. It's this is what I want you to know. Truly, truly. I'm a first-hand witness. This is the absolute truth. The Son of God can do nothing by himself. Okay. So, most people are walking around with that part of the verse. I can't do it, so I'm just not going to do anything. You know when your kids, like you told them to clean their room, and you walk in, it's like been two hours, and you're like, I'm going to walk into a pristine room. It's going to be so great, and I'm going to go sit in the tub and just have a great night. And you walk in, and they're playing video games. It still smells, and there's stuff everywhere. And you're like, what the heck has been going on here for two years? And they're just sitting there, and their, their excuse is this. I, I can't do it. I don't know how. I don't know where to start. The curtains have fallen off the wall. I don't know how to do that. My little sister drew all over the paint on the wall. I don't know how to clean that up. Well, did you run the vacuum? I don't know where it is. Well, did you put your dirty clothes at least in the dirty clothes bin? And you're like, I don't know where my hamper is. It's probably downstairs next to your undone laundry. You're right. You're right about that. It is. It is downstairs next to my undone work. I don't know how. And God just goes ahead and takes that. He's like, hey, Jesus, the perfect child, says, I don't do anything by myself. 
How do you live with Jesus? I don't know how. How do you live in neighbor? I don't know how. How do you pray for somebody and they're healed? I don't know how. How, how does everything go just so perfect and you trust God? And I, I can't do it. I can't do it by myself. Jesus, the perfect child, doesn't know how either. But you know what he does? He knows the Father. I can do nothing by myself. I can only do what I see the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. And this is news to everybody because it's wrapped up in this one word that you get but don't use called relationship. Jesus knows God. That's the difference. So when John says, nobody's ever seen God except for Jesus and he's coming to make him known. That's how he knows. I can't do anything by myself. Even Jesus, like could you imagine, is anybody like a pro at something? Like, like you're really good at putting cars back together and you get there and you're like on the side of the road and somebody goes, hey, can you do this? And you're like, I don't have any of my tools. Or you use somebody else's tool and you're like, this is crap, right? I'm a guitar player, you know, and people are like, hey, we need you to play guitar. And they would give me like a $100, you know, like Christmas special with like a little amp. Like, this, that's good, right? That's a Fender. And I'm like, I can't play on this. This is not going to do. Could you imagine being God coming down to earth? But like, you know, I used to be able to run like 3,000K. Now it's like, something's not working. I can't do it with this. Jesus speaks. The Bible says that God spoke, let there be light. John tells us that it's Jesus that spoke that and let there be light. When Jesus speaks, like cosmos are created and he gets down to earth and I'm sure he's like, let's try this out. Okay. Let there be light. Efficiency. I can't work with this. So the Bible says that in Acts 10, 38, it says that Jesus went around healing people by the power of God. He was anointed by God. He did it with the power of God. And it's in this relationship. Hebrews chapter 10 is talking about this Jesus guy, the firstborn, the favorite. And he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter God's most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised his faith Jesus comes to demonstrate what a life with the Father would be like. And then it's like, he dies. And you go, well, that kind of sucks. I'm like, why don't you just hang out? Show us. He's like, because it's a transfer. It's a transfer. And he expects you to act like him, to be like him, to do like him. And you say, I can't do that. 
I don't have the right equipment. I'm just a, a human. Nobody's perfect like Jesus. And, and that's, that's true. Nobody was perfect like Jesus. So Jesus goes, you know what? I'll, I'll make it happen. I'll take care of it. So he says, we can enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's his price. He paid for it so he can give you a gift. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. Used to be there was a curtain that separated God from humanity. And Jesus said, you want to go to God, you go through my body. You remember when he was having communion? He said, this is the, the, the wine. Everybody likes the wine. It's like, oh, it's the blood of Jesus. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus. He goes, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat it. It's actively pursuing what God has already broken Jesus for. In Isaiah, he says, by his stripes on his body, you are healed. That his body was crushed so that you could be free from torment, suffering, anxiety, the things in your soul that nobody wants to talk about. They just want to medicate. Through his body, you get to God. And since we have a high priest that's Jesus over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Like how? You mean like sacrifice lambs? Nope. You mean like do all the old school things, come into a church service, sing my song, and I'll lift my hands? No. You mean like, and people just add whatever they want. But what Jesus demonstrated was that he's your father, he wants, he interacts, he loves, he is, he exists with you everywhere you go. And he says, you know what? I know that you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. I already said that. If I can't do it, you can't do it. I was perfect. You're not. How are you going to do it? This is how. I don't do anything except for what God wants. Well, I wish we knew what God wanted. He wants to save, heal, and deliver. said, but you don't understand. I'm I'm so guilty. I don't understand. I I, I can't. I can't. You know what I did this week? You know, I still got these hang-ups. How could I pray for somebody? I'm imperfect. I'm not Jesus. Well, congratulations. You're off the hook. No, you're not. He says, so let us draw near to God with what? A sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings. Full assurance that faith brings. And here's where we get screwed up. Because our faith is like, God, I know that maybe you could. Please work on my behalf. Work in my family. Please do something. If anything, whatever puny little weak Christians who don't understand faith. Because faith is not some kind of faithometer you have to get up. I believe. I believe. That's like 25%. You know, if I could just 
Okay, I believe it now. I know what I got. I got to get rid of all my doubt. Okay, doubt, doubt, doubt. Go away, go away. I, I, ah, ah, go. Ah, I believe. I never once had to work myself into believing what my dad said. You want to know why? Because he was trustworthy. And he was faithful. And he proved himself to me. And yeah, you know, I realized he missed my game. And I walked home with my shirt off because he was probably somewhere with Johnny. But I never doubted that he loved me. I didn't walk home pissed off. I didn't walk home upset. I wasn't crying about it because I knew that my dad and my mom loved me. I didn't guilt them with like, you know, you missed my last game. Full assurance. The Bible says that faith is not yours. (laughs) Faith is actually a gift of God. He gives you faith. And I, I can't help but think that maybe God's like, hey, hey, this is what I'm like. And you're like, you're like that? God, that's you? You're like that? He's like, yeah. And everything that he interacts with you in, you grow in faith. He gives you faith little by little. It's not like some like package in the mail. Like, here's your faith. It's learning to trust him because he's trustworthy. And he leads you up a mountain. Like, what are we doing up here? It's him showing you his faithfulness. And all of a sudden, you're doing things you never thought possible because your God puts the faith in you. The problem with the church is, is I don't think you want to do that. And God's up here going, yes, I, yes, I do. Just, just believe me. Just a little. It's like, hmm. I'll see you in heaven. He's giving you faith little by little. What if you believe God for something today? What if you believe God for healing today? What if you believe God for the miraculous today? What if you believe that you could be free from the torments of Satan? What if every time that you face like the devil, you're like, well, the devil's really working today. Well, he's like, God's at work today. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. You know, it doesn't say with full faith. It's full assurance that who brings? Faith. I've got assurance because faith brought it to me. God gave me faith so I could be assured. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Most people don't come to God because of themselves. I'm not good enough, holy enough. I made mistakes. Maybe I'll find somebody else. Find me a young priest and an old priest. He says, you don't have to worry about that. Come with assurance. Come to God with assurance. It's relationship, relationship, relationship. You know, my dad never told me I'm mad at you. He never told me, I'm not talking to you. 
but yet we put that on God. Oh, God's not talking to me. God's not talking to me. Did I do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Are you kidding me? God's always speaking to you. Come having your hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Washed in the water. And the next verse. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. My dad would tell you the next part, but I'm not going to. You can look it up later. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. He who promised is faithful. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. God's God's saying, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. Have you found him faithful? Have you found him faithful? Stand up where you are. Have you found him faithful? Just in the attitude of prayer, would you in your heart and in mind say, God, have I found you faithful? Those little faith nuggets walking me through, looking in and and seeing these. You've been faithful to me and I've been living in a relationship with myself. Far from you, not walking forward into the, the very real relationship that Jesus made possible. Just close your eyes and open your heart where you are. Just find a place with him. Just open your lives to him today. Father, Father, let faith rise. Repent of, of, of walking away in doubt and not believing you for the best of what you have for us. Help us to walk in a new relationship with you, close to your heart, and let us see what real salvation is like in our spirit, soul, and body. Let us see what real relationship brings, the kind of faith that comes out of knowing you. If Jesus couldn't do it on his own and trusted you, today I trust you. I'll trust you. I'll believe you. We open our hearts and our minds. We open our lives. We repent of sin. Repent of wrong thinking. We set aside everything that so easily ensnares us from running the race that you've called us to run. Draw us to you, Jesus, like never before. In your name.